need it. If you don't have a sermon outline, they're right out on the table in the foyer. Really is good to be with everybody this morning. Um, we have another visitor here. He came in a little late, but uh, he's an old, he was in my youth group. Uh, he was a, uh, a leader. He uh, was in this area for many years, uh, then pastored in Oklahoma, and now he's pastoring in Maryland, and I'm going to just say hello and have Barry Knoll stand. Good to see you, Barry. All right. I won't tell you how he abused me with his humor. You can ask him those stories. But it is good to be with everybody and also you on live stream. It's great to have you here with us this morning. If you haven't been with us, we are in a summer series out of the book of 1 John, and this is our sixth week in the book of uh, 1 John. And so we're moving into a different section this week. The first two chapters, there was a lot of dealing with the idea of what is authentic faith versus counterfeit faith. And so uh, some of the theme of that was walking in the light walking in the truth. What did that look like when you looked at sin, when you looked at righteousness, when you looked at loving people, and how did the truth impact that? And so there was this idea of we were walking in the light, but now we're making a turn. We're going into chapters three through five, and now we're looking at walking in love. God is light, and now we're looking at God is love, and we're walking in love what manner of love do we have? How do we manifest that in our lives? Are we living as God's children? That's some of the big question here. And most of what that means is, are we living a life of love? And so just thinking about this and thinking about us uh, being children of God this week, um, this Thursday, uh, our oldest son, AJ, was 39 years old. 39 years old, that's crazy. I mean, I'm only 41. How did he get to be 39? Just don't understand what's going on there. But uh, Barbara, my wife, gathered up some childhood pictures of AJ. You know, these days you can send them out on Instagram or whatever it is. So she gathered them up. And what we noticed was how much their youngest, Kenny, who's two, looked like AJ. Um, it was as if they were twins. It was just incredible how much they looked alike. And it's interesting that one of the first things we say when we see new babies is, who do they look like in the family? It's one of the first things we say. Who do they look like? They look like the father. They look like the mother. Or no, maybe they look like an aunt or uncle. Um, but then as our children grow, we notice certain characteristics in them. Um, yeah, maybe they're like their father in this area. Or they're like their mother in this area. Or maybe another family member. And some of these qualities are good, and others, well, maybe we won't want to have those characteristics, but it's part of the family. There are times when Barb says to me, uh, it's a little scary how much you're getting to be like your dad. Now, I'm not quite sure how to take that. <laughs> As a family, we, we joke uh, and say, that is a Giuliani move. That's a Giuliani move. And what we're describing is family likeness. We're describing family likeness. And this morning, we're moving into a section of 1 John that describes being a part of God's family, of being the children of God, of having the likeness of a family who has God as their father. 
And so that's, that's what we're looking at. That's where John is going with this right now. And we're going to be looking at it, looking at 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We're going to be looking at the first three verses first. So I'm going to be reading from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that he did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what will we be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So far the reading of God's word. See what great love. The Greek word for that is Behold, behold, look with amazement, look with awe, look intently, study this. This this, this amazing love of God. And uh, just recently, we've had these uh, web telescope images from space, right? You want to put a couple of them up? Yeah, that is galaxies, (laughs) that are 4.6 billion light years away. I mean, that's just mind-blowing, right? Put the next picture up. These are the, uh, basically, this is a cluster of galaxies. And I mean, it's, it's, when you look at it, when you know that, it's, it's amazing, right? First of all, how big the universe is. Secondly, how amazing a creator God is. And the fact that we can actually begin to see things like that is just Amazing, And when you look at that, you're sort of like, that's incredible. And that's the word behold. That's the word behold. So, you know, let's bring it down to maybe something that you do personally. Uh, in November, Barbara and I got to see the Grand Canyon for the first time. And I remember standing out on this uh, glass patio that made you see the bottom and the top. And I will tell you that I, I was beholding me. I was in amazement of the Grand Canyon. Uh, it was amazing to see. It was inspiring, right? Let's take it down a, a notch. And um, I've done a lot of marriages over the almost 40 years that I've been a minister. Many of you in here I've probably married. Um, and one of the amazing things in a marriage is I'm standing there with the groom, and there's this moment when either the door opens up or the bride's coming around the corner, and that groom looks, and the countenance of that groom changes, and he sees his bride who's been prepared for him. And at that moment, the groom is beholding his bride, intently looking, amazed. This is his bride. This is his soulmate. And that's the idea here in this word, we, we, we can lose it. See what great love. Behold. What are you beholding? You're beholding the love that God has for us. It's a rescuing love. It's a love that takes us from the depths of, as the psalmist says, that we're holding on because we're like orphans crying out into a world where there is darkness and brokenness. And God comes and lifts us out 
and saves us from the wages of sin that is death and brings us to him through the work of Christ. But it's more than just a rescuing love. It's an adoptive love. Not only does he save us and rescue us, he then says, now I am adopting you as my children. I am bringing you into the family. You no longer need to act like orphans. But it's even more than that. It's a born-again love. It's a regenerating love. It's a love that changes us from the inside out. It actually changes our hearts. We become new creatures. We have new hearts. We have new natures. And so this is the love that we are to behold. This is what God has and is doing for us. And it's more than just being called children of God. It's the starting of a reality that is best described as being God's own children. As surely as children belong to their parents, we are God's children. Take that in for a second. It's so sort of cliche and so old, but take it in. God. God of the universe, the very universe we just saw up there, the God who's created all these things, says to you, I am your father, and I love you. And you are a part of my family. And it's not just an external love, but it's a love that resides in us. Right? It's implanted by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 tells us that the Spirit pours out the knowledge of his love into our hearts, into our hearts. Ephesians 1 tells us that we have the Spirit as a sign and a seal and a deposit that we are children who have an inheritance which is heaven and being with God. It has been planted in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. How powerful is that? Have you ever meditated? When's the last time you meditated on the fact of what it means to be a child of God. I have a quote by Spurgeon. Here's what he says. There he says, you poor people that love me, you sick people, you unknown, obscure people without any talent, I have published it before heaven and earth and made the angels know it that you are my children and I am not ashamed of you I glory in the fact that I have taken you for my sons and my daughters. Hallelujah. I glory in the fact that I take you as my sons and daughters. And what does uh, 1 Corinthians tell us, verse 1, 26, uh, chapter 1, 26 to 31? He says, who did he pick? He picked the unwise. He picked the foolish. He picked the weak so that we would not boast. It's a beautiful picture. He's brought us in. And it's interesting, right after that, he says, and the world did not know them. And, and the idea behind that is, is that, yes, the world does not notice us as the children of God. The, the world doesn't recognize the children of God because the world can't know the children of God. And it's very clear in the scriptures how true this is. Because Jesus says it in John 8, 19. Here's what he says. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father. 
And then John 1.10, it goes even a little further. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. But, and here's the amazing thing, when Jesus appears, we will be transformed and we shall be like him. Is that amazing? Think about that for a second. When he appears, we will be transformed and we will be like him. We will see him as he is in all his glory and all the world will know that we are the children of God. Hallelujah. And how are we going to see him? Well, John speaks about this in Revelation 1 when he was given the vision. And the vision he explains is he sees Jesus, but he sees him in a completely different way than he ever saw him before. He sees him in his glory. He sees him with his hair as white as wool. He sees him with eyes with flaming <laughs> flames in them. And then he sees the voice which comes out like rushing waters. And this is the Jesus that he sees. He's trying to explain his glory. He's trying to put words to it. And I love what Revelation 21 and 22 say, right? They say that we are going to do what? We are going to dwell and walk with our Lord in the new city and the new heavens. How amazing is that? When he appears, when he appears, this is just, we should be so, you should be so excited. Just think about this. This is the God of the universe saying this about you and me for everyone who believes. This is what he's saying. And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 12 and 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And this is where John is going in these next couple of chapters. And he moves from there to this idea of there's this hope that we have that we've been purified and we are pure. And where does this come from? Well, I think the first we need to do is look back at the Old Testament, the psalm I read this morning, verses 3 and 4 from Psalm 24 who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And then Jesus says in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There is a connection between that purity and seeing God. And this is why it's impossible not to recognize what Jesus has done. Jesus has made this possible as our mediator and high priest, as the one who stands before us through the power of his blood shed on the cross, that when God sees us, he sees us through Jesus who represents us. And in that, it's his righteousness that's given to us. And that righteousness is a purity and pure light that is now ours through Christ. Hallelujah. How powerful is that? But it doesn't end there because as we live, we are also to be people who are bringing that character, that sinlessness, that life of heaven we're supposed to be living it out here 
in earth. And that's where, that's where John moves now. He begins moving into this idea of Jesus' sinlessness and human sinfulness and how do we move from where we were in darkness to who we are in light and what does love have got to do with it. So there's a, a lot going on here as we're moving forward. But let me read verses 4 through 6. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appears that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either sin, seen him or known him. So he gives a definition right here of sin. It's breaking the law. It's lawlessness. Lawlessness is living as though our own ideas are superior to God's. None of us do that, do we? How instinctive is that to our own hearts? Lawlessness says, God may demand it, but I don't prefer it. Lawlessness says, God may promise it, but I don't want it. Lawlessness replaces God's law with my self-centered desires. I become a law to myself. Lawlessness is rebellion against the right of God to make laws and govern his creatures. It's opposition to God's will and his purpose. That's lawlessness. That's what he's talking about here. John Stott has a good explanation of it in the quote that you have there. We often fail in the battle against sin because we won't call it for what it is. Lawlessness, an offense against the great lawmaker, God, instead we say things like, if I've done anything wrong, or mistakes were made, and so forth. Call it for what it is, sin and lawlessness, the first step towards holy living is to recognize the true nature and wickedness of sin. This is the first step. This is where he's getting at here. And Jesus' redemptive work stands in opposition of sin. That's what he's saying here. To ignore or even tolerate sin in our conduct is to undermine the purpose of Jesus' work. Now, it's not saying don't get this, that we don't sin, but it says keeping in sin. See, Jesus not only takes away the consequences and guilt of sin, but also takes away its hold over us. Who believe. See, our heart attitude goes from opposition, natural opposition to God's will, to God himself, to that new heart, that reborn heart that basically says, oh, I want to live this way. I am now that child of God. It's now in my nature and I have the ability. And what I'm doing is I'm being moved from darkness to light. So the goal here, and what he's saying is, is if we continue, if we continue living a lifestyle of disregarding sin, excusing sin, rationalizing sin, having no guilt or shame, no desire to repent or ask for forgiveness, we are not living in him. We do not have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, one of the Holy Spirit's job is conviction of sin. So only way I can have the Holy Spirit is if when I begin living 
that way where I'm living out of my flesh and my own desires and I'm doing things that have, not, have really go against what God is calling me to do, that lifestyle of heaven on earth, if there is no conviction in me, and, I, and not just like, okay, for a week I haven't had conviction, but like this is, you know, you haven't had conviction for a month, two months, three months, four months. There's no conviction of sin anywhere. You've got to ask the question, do I have the Holy Spirit in me? Because the Spirit brings conviction, especially if I read the Word, and that Word with the Holy Spirit begins to speak to my heart. If I were to raise a, ask you to raise a hand, how many of you have felt conviction of sin this week? Raise a hand. Praise the Lord. You're a child of God. Ain't that great? But I hate conviction. I really don't like it. Do you like it? I hate it when the Spirit says, can't be doing that. Why are you doing it? Ange, what's wrong with you? And then when I don't listen, I get wakened at 3 o'clock in the morning. Okay, let me talk to you now. I don't need that. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's conviction. And what the Holy Spirit does as he leads us to repent of our sins, and remember, don't ever buy the lie that you can't repent for a sin seven times seven. In other words, you can keep repenting of a sin, especially pattern sins. You have to be careful because these are the ones that can get you to begin rationalizing, well, this is just who I am, this is my personality, God will give me a break on this. No, none of that's right. None of that's right. And uh, some of you have heard this before, but I'm going to share it again, because I think it's a really good illustration of what the Spirit does. Spirit keeps moving us to repentance. We keep moving to repentance. We, we ask for forgiveness, we're forgiven. And a lot of times with pattern sins, Recognize that you love some of your sins. We love some of our sins. So what we do when we repent, we're repenting, and as we're repenting, the Spirit is beginning to move us to hate that sin. My father-in-law one time, and I was, I was a fairly young Christian then, um, and he was trying to make an illustration of this, and he had a yo-yo. And he was on the stage, and you know how you can throw a yo-yo out, and then it comes right back into your hand? Has anybody ever done that with a yo-yo? So he's saying, okay, that's, that's, that's what this is like. He said, we repent, the sin goes out, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's back in there, and we're sinning again. Same sin. But we're supposed to repent. Throw it back out again. And all of a sudden, it's back in again. Throw it back out again. But every time I'm doing that, the Spirit is working in me to begin hating that sin. And then he got really excited. And he goes, and when that actually happens, when you repent of that sin, when you've learned to hate it, and he went like this and he threw it out, and guess what happened? The yo-yo just came off the string, and there was a wall there, and it just went smack back against the wall, and everybody just... And he turned around and he said, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. And that, I want to tell you, is what the Spirit does, and that's what conviction of sin is, and that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And that's how we move from those people who will continue to sin to those who are learning and growing to be more like Jesus. And so he moves from this. He's still in this thought. And he says, so, verses 7 through 10, so, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, 
because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. That first piece there, that verse 7, he's coming back and he's saying, yes, so as you're learning this, as I'm telling you this, don't be led astray. You've got some false teachers. They're teaching this Gnostic gospel. They're teaching this uh, separation of spirit and flesh. So it doesn't really matter what we do in the flesh because we're spiritual beings, and as spiritual beings, we're already saved by the work of Jesus, and it doesn't matter what you do. You can do anything you want in the flesh because the body's evil and the body's going to burn up. It doesn't matter. That's not the word of God. That's not what Jesus taught. We are spirit and we are flesh, as Jesus was both God and man. And so, what about that today? Think about that today. How could it go? Well, it could be a friend encourages you to do something you know is against God's will. Many of us have experienced peer pressure, whether it's in school, whether it's in work, whether it's in our neighborhood, even with our families. We've experienced peer pressure. And people encourage us to do things that we know are wrong. We know it. We know what God has to say about it, but yet we're being drawn in. Whether we want to be popular, we don't want people to look at us a particular way. And so what do we do? We're led astray. We're led into sin. Even more, right? We could have teachers who are here in the church, in Christian circles. And they're minimizing sinful behavior because they've been impacted by the culture. They want to fit in with the culture so much that they're willing to rationalize and minimalize sin as no sin at all. And we have to be careful. We can't be led astray. And then we just have the world, the flesh, and the devil, and all the temptations that come with that. And we can't be led astray. John is clear and has been clear since chapter 1 that truth and behavior go hand in hand. Truth and behavior go hand in hand. So again, he comes with a very strong reminder. This time, he's making it clear that for someone who has a lifestyle that is lawless, in opposition to God's will and character, that has put themselves on the throne of their lives and has no inclination in their hearts that what they're doing is wrong and they have any need of forgiveness, they are of the devil. I don't know how much stronger he can get. They are of the devil. As a matter of fact, the way Jesus looks at the world, there's either children of God or children of the devil. See, the devil's sin was wanting to be God. He was full of unbelief. He opposed God's will and purposes. He wanted to usurp the throne and be God himself. Here's a couple of things that have been said about Satan. Revelation 12, 9. 
The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. He leads the whole earth astray. And Jesus talks about him. John 8, 41 through 45. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus speaks about it very clearly. Children of God or children of the devil. Lawless or righteous. Here's what Spurgeon says, sort of sums it up. Well, labor under no mistake. Everyone that commits sin is of the devil. It is no use making excuses and apologies. If you are a lover of sin, you shall go where sinners go. If you who live after this fashion say that you have believed in the precious blood of Christ, I do not believe you. If you had a true faith in that precious blood, you would hate sin. If you dare to say you are trusting in the atonement while you live in sin, you lie. You do not put trust in the atonement. For where there is a real faith in the atoning sacrifice, it purifies the man and woman and makes them hate sin, which shed the Redeemer's blood. And I just want to be clear, okay? This is, John is not saying that when you come to Jesus, you're no longer going to sin again. Remember in chapter 1, verse 7, he basically says that we are to confess, in, in verse 10, we're to confess our sins. So no, he's not saying that. He's saying it's an attitude of continual sin without a sense that there is something wrong, where you want to move towards not longer sinning in that way. So you've got to get that clear, but it's an attitude of heart. It's what the world's attitude is towards God. But here's the thing, and this is, this is where I want to end today. Some of this is hard to hear. John is not, he's not pulling any punches here. He's laying it out there. He's so concerned as he is for us today. And I would say in our world, brothers and sisters, there is so much counterfeit out there. There is so much false teaching out there. There is so much rationalization of sin. There is so much compromise with culture. These words are directly to us. And here's the wonderful thing. There is transforming power. There is transforming power to make us people who can walk in the light and walk in love like Jesus did. How amazing is that? Think about that for a second. And that's where the whole idea of of the seed comes in. You see, Jesus destroys the work of the devil by dealing with sin through his life and death and resurrection. But it's more than just that. It's regeneration. It's regeneration. We have been born again. We've been given a new nature. We've been given a new heart. 
And this is what John means when he says the seed remains. And if the seed remains, you do not continue sinning, but you become more like Jesus. You see that, see that seed that remains is the new nature. It's the new heart. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the truth of the word. It's the power of prayer. It's the encouragement and testimony of the community, the church, and the body of Christ. This is the transforming power that makes us walk in the light and in love. It's right here. Right in this moment, it's happening. The Spirit is already moving. He's moving in us as a body. He's moving in us as individuals. He's speaking to our hearts. He's bringing conviction. He's bringing encouragement. He's bringing truth and enlightenment. This is what the Spirit is doing. Right now, transforming power is taking place right here in this room. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, every one of us here is being changed in some way or another. That's how powerful it is. And that's really what the Word of God says. This transforming power is to make us conform to the image of Jesus. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and when the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, listen to these words, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen? Every one of us is going more like Jesus. Some of us slower than others. Some of us have epiphanies and we take a big jump. Some of us, as my brothers say, some of us like to fall back a little bit, but then the Spirit says, what are you doing? And here's the thing. What we're really being able to do is to put off and to put on. See, this is, this is what the Spirit is doing in us. We're putting off the old nature and we're putting on the new nature. And, and I I can describe it, but I think the Word of God describes it in a much better way. So we're going to be looking at a, a number of verses out of Colossians right now. I'm going to read from Colossians 3, verse 5 to verse 17. Now listen to this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You Listen, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, here there, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, brothers and sisters, children of God, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. 
Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is family likeness. This is living out the character of heaven on earth. This is what transforming power does to the people of God. This is walking in love. Brothers and sisters, this is the day. This is the generation. And I'm now talking to some of our younger people because you're stepping into a world. When I look back on my world and the world that you're stepping in on, there is so much more dark. We have to learn to walk in love together. It's the only place to go. Don't pull, it, pull out a political side. That is definitely not going to help. But you want to follow the Lamb's government? You follow the Lamb's government by walking love. Walking in love. And how do we do that? Who is the model? Who is the only one who was perfect in righteousness and in love? Who was the only one who perfectly spoke the truth in love? It was Jesus. What is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit doing in our lives? It's making us like who? Jesus. So guess what? We can walk in love. Even in this generation, we can walk in love. Let's never give up the idea that we can't walk in love, that we have to compromise in some way, or we have to be able to sink into the culture, or we need to be able to choose a side. No, that's not walking in love. Walking in love. That's the call. That's what he's doing. That's how he's moving in us. I know next week the preaching is going to be on loving one another, and the following week it's testing the spirits in love because John wants to keep coming back to this. It's so important that the community, the people of God, the body of Christ are walking in love with one another and walking in love with the world. That is our family likeness. What's it like when our own families struggle walking in love with one another? It's hard, right? And I think about the church today. It's a mess. Yeah, you've heard me say this before, but some of the rhetoric I see on media, I just can't believe it. I feel like going, what church do you belong to? I want to call your pastor up. What are you doing? Why do you feel like you need to defend a position that has nothing to do with spirituality, and yet you're acting like it does? Why do you think that you have the only truth and you are the white knight of righteousness condemning everybody else. Wow. That isn't what we just read, is it? God help us. Bridge, we want to walk in love. We want God to move us with his transforming power 
to be like Jesus. That's what we pray. That's what we cry out for. That's what I want to encourage you to do. And I'll just tell you what God has been doing in my life, and this will be my application, and we'll move from here. But what God has been doing in my life is I've been thinking about these things, struggling with it over the last couple years. You guys know what it's been like. It's been really difficult for pastors. We've seen people leave all over the place for all kinds of different reasons. People we had known for years. People that we had in youth group and baptized and baptized our children and married. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. It starts with our hearts coming before the Lord and praying for transforming power to make us more like Jesus. And one of the ways that I have found in doing it, and I've been doing it now every morning when I first wake up, I've been doing this for probably four or five months now, I pray through the Beatitudes. Why do I do that? Because it opens up with where I am. I am poor in spirit. I am a man who is a sinner saved by grace. My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And as I go in poverty of spirit, I now know I have need of redemption. It leads me to the redemptive work of Jesus, the one who was sin for me, the one who rescued me and adopted me and brought me into glory. And when I move in that, I begin now to, I move then out of myself, and I'm moving into saying, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring revival and renewal. And Lord, as I'm moving in that, and I'm giving you praise and glory for who you truly are, now I'm ready to say, Holy Spirit, may I hunger and thirst for righteousness so that you can conform me to the image of Jesus. And I start out by just praying that. Lord, Holy Spirit, work in me. Conform me. Make me a man who's righteous, a man who lives out the character of heaven in my life. And how does that happen? Thank you, Lord. It happens by being a man of mercy and justice that I would be merciful. It happens as my heart is pure and undivided that I have a pure heart and I would see God. It happens, Lord, as I become a peacemaker, not a warmonger or a peacekeeper. It happens, Lord, that I'm willing to face adversity and even persecution for the gospel. And then as I do that, Lord, thank you that you're growing me and being salt and light. You're growing me in being the aroma of Christ and being a living epistle. You're growing me in being a minister of reconciliation. You're growing me, Lord, in being an ambassador for Jesus and bearing witness so that when we hold out the word of life in this crooked and depraved generation, we will shine like stars. Hallelujah. And that's how I open up in prayer every morning. It leads me to many other things. But I'm praying what I believe John is talking about here. I need that transforming power every day to grow, to be like Jesus, and to walk in love. May God help us all. Let me just pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, oh, how I just come to you, Lord, and I'm just so thankful for the Apostle John. He is the Apostle of love, that he would love us so much to write in this way, to warn us, to, to bring truth to us, to, to give us an ability to know uh, how we can be moving forward and being transformed to be like Jesus. We thank you for this word this morning. Oh, Lord, I know for our hearts it brings conviction 
But out of that conviction, it brings repentance and it brings forgiveness. And then it brings the power of the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. And that's what we're praying for, Lord. We want to be people. We want to be families. We want to be a congregation that's walking the way of love. Help us, Lord. Help us in this crooked and depraved generation to walk in love. That people would say, bridge? Boy, these people love. They love God and they love people. We may not agree with them too much, but they love. This is what we want, Lord. This is what we cry out for. Let it start in our own hearts. Let it move to our families and through our body here and then out, out to the world around us, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus, that you have destroyed the works of the devil. And we now have the seed of transforming power. Make us more like yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and